Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumbacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Today I have a very special guest. He is the founder of the social media account Sandwiches of History. He's often referred to as the Bob Ross of sandwiches. <laughs> Upon further research, I was very excited to find out that Barry was one of the key members of a startup company called Netflix, and he was involved in the brand building, the PR strategies, the quantitative and qualitative research studies. I'm really interested in diving into that. As many of our listeners know, I do have a background in the entertainment business and still play in that field, but I, maybe a lot of people might not know one of the reasons I got into baking bread and starting the social media account side hustle bread was to face the challenge of trying to build a brand. And I really love that challenge. And I find that I'm learning every day. And funny enough, in the management of comedians that I do, I've been involved in, you know, the social media scene with, with comics and the YouTube channels and their Instagram channels for a long time. So now I'm getting to treat myself as a client and try to push my brand along. So, Barry, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm you know, excited I, to be here. I, I truly was a fan of your social media account and had no idea until after I asked you to be on this podcast that you had this background in yeah, entertainment. There's, there's no direct line between uh, working at Netflix. There's there's a lot of like behind-the-scenes lines, but there's no direct, obvious line behind uh, between working at Netflix and, and doing sandwiches of history. Right. There's no obvious line to the end user, but having read a whole bunch of the articles that you've written, you oh. also have a great LinkedIn page 
and you publish you. some great articles there, which really, I, I think, kind of blend the two and mm -hmm. give a perspective into your, your marketing and PR background. Mm -hmm. It does seem like, and you tell me, were you always interested in sandwiches per se? Well, yeah, I've always loved sandwiches. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the, 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 the idea of doing sandwiches for history, though, it was not something that I'd always longed to do. A friend of mine sent me the up-to-date sandwich book of 1909, a PDF of it. And he said, this would be kind of fun to do on social media. I'm like, this would be kind of fun to do on social media. And so I did it. And here we are. Now, I saw you write that it didn't take off for a little while. And you had to yeah. make a, a, a subtle change to the account. Yeah. Or to, the, to the way you programmed the content and exactly what the content was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I started off on Instagram, and I'd already been reviewing potato chips. I have about five different social media accounts, and I've been reviewing potato chips for a few years, and that had gone pretty well. And I decided with Sandwiches of History that I would post a picture on the grid and the making of videos in this new thing called Stories. It didn't really get a, a lot of traction, a lot of engagement, and so I just sort of like left it to drift, you know, not updating it at all for, I don't know, I think like nine months, maybe a year. And then TikTok came along. I thought, well, what if I put the videos that I'd use for stories on TikTok? And it took off like crazy. And I'm like, well, what if I do that on Instagram? <laughs> and then Instagram started to tick off like crazy. So yeah, it, it was it was not a, it was very much a uh, like, well, let's experiment. Let's try this. Let's try this after I came back to it. Was it the exact same content repurposed? Uh, the stuff that I initially put on TikTok, yeah, you could still see the Instagram stickers and stuff. Uh, wow. on it and it was it was doing great so and then i actually did that uh, i took a, a few from tiktok and put them on instagram to kind of test the test the waters on this posting videos on my wall instead of uh instead of uh in the stories and yeah it took off so could you explain to our listeners exactly what you do on that sure. account yeah, I make sandwiches. Well, I've got a couple of different approaches to sandwiches, but mainly make sandwiches from old recipe books. And then I, uh, what I say is I plus them up. I add a, an ingredient or two to make them into something that I'd want to eat today if it had potential. Some of them just don't have potential, and I just I have to toss them. Um, but I also do uh, sandwiches of our history, which is where I do sandwiches from like you know families, where it's like my grandfather used to make this, or my grandma used to make this, my mom used to make this for me. So I can capture those kind of uh, sandwiches of history as well, not just the ones that are officially in, in recipe books. And then just recently, I started a uh, segment called Ch Sandwiches of Future History, ah, where I, I, read that. I ask uh, ChatGPT to make me a, a weird sandwich or an unusual sandwich recipe. And so far, it they all sound like they might not work, but then three out of three have been pretty solid. So I saw the one with the, uh, the avocado and chocolate <laughs> paste. Yeah. I, and an egg. Would, I would never. And you know what? My uh, my friend John, who's who goes by Sandwich Dad on uh, TikTok and Instagram, was skeptical. This always ha this happens a lot in sandwich, as we call it, sandwich talk. Uh, uh, or you know, like on TikTok, one of us will try something and we'll be like, "What?" And then the rest of us have to kind of try it. And he tried it and he couldn't believe it. He loved it too. No kidding. No. So these recipe books are they from the early 1900s in the U.S. Or could mm -hmm. they be from Europe as well? Well, I would love to get my hands on more uh, cookbooks from outside the U.S., but the, primarily they're, they're U.S.-based cookbooks. And they run the gamut from the, the 1800s all the way up through the 60s, 70s. 
Okay. One of the reasons I asked, obviously I'm a bread maker and right. the automated bread slicing machine yes. was not invented until 1917. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me. Um, I was originally starting to figure out and research whether these early recipes from the 1800s were made with naturally leaven slash sourdough bread. Because I right. see you're using what looks to me like commercial bread. Yeah, I am. Definitely. And that's more of a function of time for me. Like I didn't have the time to, to be making all these different of kinds course, of breads. Yeah. But was, what's interesting is, yeah, I think modern breads like the, the the my default is a organic sandwich bread from whole foods white bread uh-huh. but a lot of the recipes call for you to cut off you know to butter the bread then cut off the slice off the loaf and they all really emphasize that it should be at least a day old the bread should stay be staled by at least one day that's what they actually wanted so it's, did they it's use kind of, the, the word stale yes they did really yeah because I do so, know that that bread continues to develop a flavor for another mm-hmm. 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But that's not the reason. No. <laughs> they, they were not about flavor. They were about making it so that it wasn't too spongy, I guess. Which is part of the reason why I think every practically every sandwich up into the 60s and 70s had called for buttered bread. It kind of held the bread together, kept it from sogging out from the ingredients. And, you know, kind of like sandwich lubricant. Sure. So this is not the first social media account that you had. No. Which one was? Uh, In the Chips with Barry was my first one where I review uh, potato chips and snacks from around the world that are uh, interesting. Now, when I watch those videos, it it, it says, can these chips sandwich? Is that correct? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do can it sandwich on Saturdays, and that's where I take the chips that I review, put them between two slices of butter bread to see if they can sandwich it. The the reason I started doing that is because um, the good folks over in Ireland introduced me to uh, potato, cheese, and onion crisps, and they said, if you're going to review those, you got to do the the crisp sandwich. I'm like, okay, I've never done that before. Let's try that. It was delicious. (laughs) Maybe not the healthiest thing for you. But it was delicious. And so I'm like, well, if these chips are sandwiching well, let's try them all. And is that really, I mean, I, I love putting chips on my sandwich. Um, but these are just chips and butter. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And I love putting chips in sandwiches like you were just talking about. Yeah, for the texture. Well. For the texture or like a good salt and vinegar chip brings a little something, something to the sandwich. Yeah. But, um, but no, these are just strictly potato chips, butter, and bread. I mean, it sounds weird, right? It did to me until I tried it, <laughs> and then now it doesn't. <laughs> so would you go on a picnic with just a sandwich of butter and chips? I don't know if I'd do a picnic, but I'd maybe pack it as a snack for a hike. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I have to try it. You, you do. I have to try it. Get some chips that you like, that you really enjoy, and try it. So interesting. Yeah. Now, coming from the background you did... What made you jump on the social media bandwagon? And, and again, I, I, I've seen you talk about this too. And much like me, we're probably around the same age. Two middle-aged guys playing the social media game to an extent. You're much more than me. And you're yeah. having a lot of success at it. Well, yeah. I, I, so when I was at Netflix, I was there from 2001 to 2012. I had a Facebook account that I didn't even touch didn't have a Twitter account. Uh, Instagram didn't come along until 2012. So 
I didn't know anything about social media. And I couldn't, the last couple of years I was at Netflix, I spent a lot of time focused on international market exploration. So I couldn't really be, hey, we're in Japan because we were a publicly traded company and that could sway the stock. So I didn't have really any experience with social media. So I just started playing around with it a little bit. And Barry, Um, if you don't mind, I want to, we're talking about the, the, the beginning days of Netflix when people were receiving DVDs, watching them and shipping them back. Yes, right? that's that's when I started at Netflix. It was a DVD subscription DVD rental company. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I, I used to work a lot on well, aside from banner ads and things like that within the within the marketing department, but also would work on trying to make the uh, communications on the mailer more obvious and more efficient, so people wouldn't rip them in half when they got them. Because that was the return mailer, right? We needed yes. you to be gentle and make sure that you could send the DVD back. So we. It's unbelievable how much time I spent on the DVD mailer and the DVD sleeve itself and the information that was on it, what should be on it, doing research around that. Please tell me you got a ton of stock at that time in Netflix. I, I, I got, I did well. I did, I did well. Yes. yes. I was, uh, it was pre-IPO and I, <laughs> I, did, I did pretty well. I'm not like some billionaire with an island or anything like that, but I did pretty well. I, re- I seriously remember... Uh, a friend of mine was a manager at Brillstein Gray and he was talking about Netflix at the, and he wouldn't stop it. And, uh, was talking about stock and Netflix and I, I, I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, hard to know really. Right. Like I joined the company. Part of the reason why I joined the company is because I had tried the, the service, but it was a la carte rentals about a year before I joined. And, the second the envelopes hit my hand, I'm like, this could put Blockbuster out of business because <laughs> it's such a better experience. Yeah. Now, I mean, I could have been totally wrong. There's so many things that have to go right for Netflix to succeed. So it wasn't like I'm some genius who came up with, <laughs> like, who was able to predict the future. That was just dumb luck. But, you know, uh, the execution was there, the strategy was there, and, you know, timing, luck. There's so many things that go into uh, Netflix being able to be what it is today. Now, Netflix, modern day Netflix, probably cutting back to six years ago, was notorious to have a cutthroat competitive culture that, um, in fact, I'm looking for that article now, not this minute, but curious to read it again because I haven't read it in a few years. But it was one of the first companies in Hollywood that I've heard of that really asks the employees to one up each other, uh, call each other out. And it was a vicious culture at six years ago. I don't know if it still is. I don't know if it was anything like that when you were there. Yeah. I, so I don't know, like six years ago I was, I'd already been gone. So I don't know. I I will say that I was there when the high performance culture, as it's called, uh, was initiated. And the idea wasn't to create a vicious cutthroat culture. The idea was to be, brutally honest or not brutally honest. I should say that I should say that just be open and honest with feedback on a constant and ongoing basis and hire the best, pay them top of market and get out of the way and let them do their job. You know, my experience in the marketing department was that it was unbelievably helpful in helping us be as efficient as we could be and punch well above our weight. We got things, we got a lot of stuff done that, you know, given the number of people in our marketing department, we shouldn't have been able to get done. So for me, it was a very positive experience, but I know that other folks within the company had different experiences because that, you know, we're all humans and, you know, 
how it's applied matters. As far as what it evolved to after I left, I don't know. And where it is now, I have no idea. So high performance culture. Culture. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit more about, I, I understand <clears throat> that it's trying to bring the best out in people. It, it was it was actually trying to less trying and this sounds this sounds harsh. It's not really about bringing the best out of people. It's about hiring the best. So basically, there was no internship programs. There was no career paths. You were hired for something, and you were going to be the best at it. And if not, you get a generous severance package. And it and- sounds it does sound brutal, but it, it again we we were able to get so much done and, and accomplish some pretty amazing things. I think because of that, who was that? Uh, was it Cindy Holland? Uh, Cindy Holland, the, the that brought contact? that in. No, no, that was, um, Reed Hastings and Patty McCord, the CEO and oh. uh, head of HR. Okay. And they, they had, they did things like the no vacation policy, which wasn't a perk. It wasn't like, like right now you hear unlimited PTO. And that's a perk. The no vacation policy was if our poli- if we're, our approach is to hire the best, pay them top of market, we're hiring fully formed adults. And if you're a fully formed adult, we shouldn't have to have you ask your supervisor for time off, have your supervisor approve it, and have all of you track it and do all this inefficient paperwork and processes. It should be something that you're just able to do. And so that that was the, think- the thinking behind it. And I knew people who took like a month off to go back and visit family and things like that. And there were, as long as things were covered and you were able to make sure that nothing fell through the cracks, it was fine. I ran my production company with no vacation policy. And I had an answer to Dennis Leary's accountant who kind of was my checks and balances. Mm-hmm. And when we would make employment agreements, I would say, no, I don't, I don't want that in there. Cause they yeah. wanted to put the standard two weeks. Yeah. And why, why don't you want it? Why don't you want that in there? Well, yeah. because they know what they have to get done. And to be honest with you, I, I found that they didn't take a month off to see family. They probably took less time off than other people. Like we would automatically shut down the week before and after Christmas. There are mm. certain times in the entertainment business where it's just closed. There's yeah. at least four weeks a year of that. And right. If they needed to take a week or two in between, like I never saw in my case, anyone abuse it. Right. And that's how it was at Netflix. Yeah, it was. It was very much a. Yeah, I never saw anyone abuse it at Netflix. Because um, if you did it, if you did abuse it, there would be a consequence in that your work would suffer, and you've you've got to you've got to deliver. Right, you have to deliver. There's a lot of pressure at Netflix to deliver. Yes. And then I read that I read you talk about adding the phone number to make it easy for people to cancel their subscriptions if they chose to. Mm-hmm. And there was yeah. some skepticism and we're making it so easy that we're going to lose a lot of business. But what happened? Well, so what we did is it used to be that the people would have to call in to cancel. Yeah. And that's, which is typical of a subscription. And then of course the, the rep is going to try and talk you out of it, try to get you. It's just a huge pain. And we came to, to learn through consumer research that people just needed to quit for a month or two or or three for the summer. Right. And so we decided to test uh, canceling on the website in two clicks. And people were like, wow, this is great. No subscription ever has made it this easy to quit. And what happened was in our exit surveys, likelihood to recommend and likelihood to return rates shot way up. Turns out that that was a brand building move to just say, we understand 
we, you don't want to be locked into this because you've got stuff to do, but come back when you're ready. We'll save your queue and come back and pick right up where you left off. Yeah. Like it builds trust, right? Yeah. In the brand, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, something you're also an expert in building a brand. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, you truly are. I mean, you've got, I, I think close to half a million followers when we total up everything, maybe it's more. Yeah. How, how, I mean, I struggle with this all the time, partly because I have so many different lanes of things. Like I know in my head, they're all related mm -hmm. in the way that, you know, some of the things you did at Netflix are transferable to what you're doing now. I feel that way about a lot of what I do, but I look at your accounts and they're, they're narrower and simpler. And then mm -hmm. you have several of them. Right. And then it makes me think, am I combining, like even this podcast, for instance, mm -hmm. you're a really interesting guest because we could talk about food, social media, and entertainment, which is like, <laughs> funny yeah. enough, exactly my thing. There yeah. are not many people like you that, that this podcast, I could interview like you. And, well, and sometimes I'll do a whole episode with a showrunner. Mm -hmm. And then I'm back to a guy who won a James Beard award for making pizza. <laughs> ah, gotcha. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for me, I wanted to keep a simple focus for each of the channels. Cause one of the things I found when I was following people uh, online, when I first started looking at social media is that one day they'd be doing X, the next day they'd be doing C, the next day they'd be doing R. And it's like, okay, well, I like C. X was okay. I don't really care about R. Right. So I, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel a connection to it, a strong connection to it per se. Yeah. So I figured, you know, with sandwiches of history, let's just, let's do a, a half sandwich or a sandwich every single day, post it at noon every single day mm -hmm. and, you know, be active in responding to comments and, and, and things like that and, and uh, engaging with folks. And that seems to have worked pretty well. I read you talk about that too. And I've since, because uh, for instance, I do a lot of collaborations with other social media accounts. Great idea. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. But why not, after reading what you wrote about it, I started answering the people that were probably the other person's followers, you know, and thank them. We appreciate you or, or provide some information. Yeah. It's a really great way to think about it. Yeah. It's, it's I mean... I didn't really think about this consciously, but that, that's kind of brand building, right? To do that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Because yeah. they want to form a connection with the person behind the whole Absol thing, right? Absol yeah, exactly. So to continue down the path of me getting free advice. <laughs> <laughs> does that's it okay. I might, I might hit you up for something <laughs> well with regards to TV production. So. There you go. Please, let's trade. Um, it does seem like, for instance, uh, the last couple collaborations, I, I went to, uh, there's a caterer called the Barbecue King out here in Long Island. And this happens a lot. People say, will you make a certain bread for me? I want to feature it, uh, a sandwich on your bread. And then we shot a video of the two of us together, me delivering the bread, and then what goes into making the sandwich and the finished product. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's a win for both of us. Right. You know, and that, that's the no-brainer. And then, you know, my next video is me doing stand-up comedy about bread with a, instead of a microphone, a, a pepperoni stick. And, huh. and, you know, my thought was like, I can't always be selling, selling, selling. I have to provide entertainment also. Mm -hmm. 
but then yeah you can provide entertainment in your everyday videos about bread right you like you 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 can just be just be entertaining that and you could do the you could do the the comedy stuff in like stories right right because if you think the way i think about stories is they're kind of like the um the add-on where you're allowed to kind of stretch a little and not necessarily be strictly about the the like i'll post stuff in my stories for sandwiches of history that sometimes aren't even related to sandwiches but i find them funny or i find them amusing and that allows for folks to get a little bit more color about who i am as opposed to just as a guy who does sandwiches could you give me an example of one of those disposable stories uh let's see i'm, I'm gonna look at my phone i'm gonna cheat because I, <laughs> my mind is a steel sieve i did start a daily poll on my stories that oh, it's good yeah it, it provides a lot of interaction it, it's mm-hmm. often related to food but not always but it could be about restaurant business about tipping about ordering people no. like that so for example <laughs> we just went to the first concert we've been to and i don't even know how long we saw this band called the old 97s and I love them. And so I posted a video of some of their performance to my stories on Sandwiches of History. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with Sandwiches of History, but I got a lot of folks saying like, oh, I love them. I saw them live, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, there is a fair amount of sandwich stuff on that. <laughs> I'm looking on my story highlight potential. But there's, you know, anything to do with ingredients, anything to do with bread. You know, the uh, one of the great restaurants in New Orleans, uh, Turkey and the Wolf, they have this uh, sandwich called the bologna sandwich or the bologna it's called and they put chips in it uh so they did a taste test to see which flavored pringles would work best and they posted about it so i shared their post in my story sure so yeah i do it like that yeah i share fun stuff in my story too yeah you know and then i do you're making me think i should separate the hollywood stuff out i well i mean unless you can tie it to to the bread making to that part of it right like if you have someone if you're talking about yeah i'm not i'm not sure exactly what you're talking about like but let's say you have well someone, i guess i'm talking about the podcast more than anything okay yeah so the podcast yeah i don't know i mean it's you, you it is called bread for the people correct <laughs> and your whole thing is baking at least on on yep. from the social media so i'd probably try to keep it to that yeah uh, unless you're able to somehow like, well, a good example yeah, is, uh, yeah. I have two good examples okay. of people that I interviewed. Well, one's right. coming up. He's a showrunner for new Amsterdam, the TV show, oh. but he's a pizza e- expert. I follow him. He follows me. Yeah. 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 So we're talking about doing an interview. That makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. The other one that was great was a guy who I actually worked with. He was um, head of marketing at Sony. Hmm. I wonder if you know okay. him. Bob Oswax. No. no. Oh, you'd be interested. Because you live yeah. in Los Angeles, right? No, I live in uh, San Jose, California. Oh. I wonder how close it is. So he owns Bob's Well Bread. Oh, okay. And hmm. uh, he's got two locations now in Santa Barbara. Okay. So that's a little ways away. That's about six hours away. Yeah, but he he has a really interesting story. He was in his 50s, and he was told by uh, Sony they were letting him go. Mm-hmm. He worked with a headhunter for a long time. Could He was the president of Worldwide Marketing. He could not get a job. And he he went to San Francisco and studied really hard and got into this bread thing, and 
It's his life now. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. fantastic. Yeah, and they're really, really successful. But that uh, made sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So yeah, the, like doing entertainment that that are entertainment uh, interviews that tie into the bread, I think make a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah. You might start a separate podcast for the uh, entertainment only one. Exactly. Which, uh, but you know, you could, it's easy enough. You just re, you're gonna you're gonna record it anyway, and then just set up yeah, a different uh, different graphic and. It's the same workflow, but then when you start getting into the consistency, maybe we change the model on that one. Um, yeah. And now I'm curious to know about you. Like, you talk about that, and you mentioned it here on this program. Every day at 12 o'clock, you're putting out this video. Mm-hmm. That's one account, and that's a lot yeah. of work to, to do five videos a week just for that. Or is well, it seven? Seven, seven. yeah. It's a lot. It, and yeah, then you do it for four other accounts? So... Uh, so sandwiches of history is the only one that gets a daily post in the chips with Barry is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Saturday. And those, I just record all at once, edit all at once stage all at once. And during the week, I just hit send or it automatically posts on like YouTube and, and Facebook. I can, I can schedule those. The other ones are ad hoc, like craft beer, Barry, Barry's cooking again, Barry's ice cream o'clock. Those are, those are sporadic. Those are just, when I get to them, I get to them. But I don't, there, there's no set schedule for those. Well, tell me about Craft Beer Barry, because <laughs> beer is uh, another one of my hobbies. Um, I don't make well, it, but I drink oh, it. <laughs> oh, I have made it a couple of times. I have. Um, it's, yeah, I, was, I would say I'd had like a 50% success rate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I love beer. I love craft beer. Uh, my, uh, I have a consultancy, and my partners and I own a small piece of a craft brewery out here in San Jose. Really? And so I just, you know, I'll, I'll drink a beer. I'll, I'll take a picture of it. I'll write a little description about it. It'd be fun to do videos on those as well, but it just, there's just not time for that. Right. It takes yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. What kind of beer do you like? It's easier to say what kind I don't like, and that uh-huh. would be sours. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of Saison's or, or farmhouse uh, ales, but Porter stouts, IPAs, pale ales, those are those are my wheelhouse for sure, especially IPA. East Coast you? or West Coast IPA? You know, it's funny. Uh, I was West Coast, and then Hazy's came along, the Northeast style, and I fell in love with them. And I think I overdid it because I burned out on those, and I stayed away from those for about a year. And now I'm back to more of a balance between the two. I go from the balance to the hazy. Okay. I don't. I don't like it real juicy and citrusy. Okay. See, which is the then, West Coast version, correct? Which this is great. We would never fight over which beer we get. You you <laughs> could have yours, I could have mine. We're good. Do you have a favorite craft beer from around the entire country? Or there's just too many alike? Uh, you know, uh, this is going to sound self-serving. So the the brewery that I own a small stake in is uh, Strike Brewing Company. Uh and How do you spell it? Strike like okay. as in uh, baseball with a, with a K. Yeah. And they they have Ryan Bridge, the head brewer there, makes this big wall imperial stout. And it is complex, delicious, roasty, chocolatey coffee, but there's no actual coffee used in the brewing. Um, it's just, it's one of my favorite beers of all time. And I feel bad saying that because it's a brewery that I own a piece of, but it is one of my favorite uh, of all time. Russian River Brewing out here is unbelievable. One of the problems with, with craft beer are, 
problems. One of the issues with being able to evaluate craft beer is that I don't get a lot of East Coast beers out here. The mm. distribution for small craft breweries is just not that that dynamic. So I'm going to over-index on West Coast and Western right. craft beers, no matter what. There's one that's widely distributed from Tampa, Cigar City Brewing. Have you had uh, Highlight? I've not had Highlight. I've I've seen Cigar City Brewing. Uh, I've, I know I've had their beers, but I have not had that one. Highlight is my go-to IPA. Uh, it's widely available here in New York, everywhere you go. Okay. Wow. I, I okay. love that one. So a little All plug right. for Cigar City in Tampa. <laughs> I don't know. They should sponsor your podcast. Yeah, which one? The Hollywood one or the food one? Probably the food one. I think so. In fact, that's one of the things I, uh, I, I do go to breweries a lot to, to sell my bread and have my bread paired with, with beer and food. And uh, nice. it, it's a pretty cool thing. That's very cool. And then Barry's Ice Cream. A clock. Yeah. Barry's yeah. ice cream, a clock. Yeah. So that, um, I just, I have these ideas for ice cream flavors that I want to try and, um, I just make them and they're usually, they're almost always a combination of sweet and savory. So I made a, uh, for example, a Thanksgiving stuffing ice cream. It was butter ice cream with the herbs and seasonings and, and onion and stuff as the aromatics that flavored the ice cream. Yeah. And it was ridiculously good. <laughs> that was a home run. Um, others. I do that with bread too. Yeah. I do uh, Thanksgiving stuffing rolls. People go crazy for them, man. I would go crazy for that. (laughs) Yeah. I I like making stuffed breads. The very first bread I made was a Northeast thing called uh, prosciutto bread. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. It's a mix of Italian meats and provolone cheese. Yeah. Which started me on the path of infusing other breads. I do a, a pastrami in the rye sourdough. It's really good, and like I, I could make them into like little bagels and bring them to the breweries and stuff. Oh man, that sounds like I need to get on a plane. It's got the caraway <laughs> seeds. I need to get out there. Yeah, or vice versa. I'm trying to do some of this in the West Coast. Um, All right, it's such a good food scene now on the West Coast. Yeah, I guess there always was, but there was a bad rap for a while. Yeah, especially I in mean, LA. Yeah, I was gonna say LA, LA and San Diego both kind of suffered a little bit there for a while. They didn't really have good food scenes and then it just exploded in the last yeah. like 20 years. And when you were doing Netflix, were you based in LA? No, it was here in San Jose. Ah. The, head, the headquarters is a, a small company, or small company, a small town called Los Gatos, which is just outside of San Jose. And are you making your full-time living now doing the social media channels? No, I, I still have the consultancy with my, my partner, my business partner. And, um, I am, you know, doing things to monetize the the social media channels, but it's nowhere near a, a living. Yeah, I I hear that. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about the consulting agency, if you don't mind. What kind of clients do you guys have? Sure. Uh, so it was um, consultancy that um, a friend of mine who was also a Netflix alumni. He was the brand manager while I was there. Uh, we worked together for eight years, and we got along like like brothers. And so we started this consulting agency when we left Netflix. And we do everything from brand positioning to competitive uh, research to working on go-to-market strategies for companies, just a whole slew of things that include marketing. When we first started, it was mainly just marketing. But now it's like, how do we get secure funding? Like we helped the brewery that I, I mentioned. We helped them secure funding. We helped them secure distribution. So we just, all things business. We try to be 
so, uh, problem solvers, solvers for all things business. How detailed was the brewery's business plan by the time you came in? That's a good question. I would say that they had they had started on Kickstarter to build a tap room in their brewery, and they had just completed that. Their distribution was very ad hoc and very local. And so what my partners and I were able to do was hook them up, get them connected to a distributor that would make them available statewide, which is pretty big for California. And it turns out that that actually that helped them tremendously during the pandemic because they were still able to sell through stores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure to check that out when I'm on the West Coast. It sounds yeah. uh, they sound like a cool place. And yeah. besides breweries, like what other kind of clients do you have? Oh, uh, social media companies are doing something for Microsoft. We've done work for startups. So it just runs the gamut, really. Interesting. So you're getting to use all the skills that you've been using for many years in all these different areas. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty fortunate in that regard. It's amazing. For sure. Yeah. One last question. Uh, Can you tell us about your most memorable meal, where it was, and who it was with, and why it was so memorable. Holy smokes. <laughs> uh, most memorable meal. One that comes to mind for me is um, my significant other, Christine, and I were visiting friends in New Orleans, and we went to this restaurant called Peristyle. And it was kind of fancy food, but it was also New Orleans food. And it was around the time when I started thinking, wow, food is so much more than I, you know, ever, I used to think food is, you just need food and you eat it and that's it. And growing up, I didn't really have a great experience with food. My mom was not the best cook at all. So I thought like, who eats steak? It's leather. Who eats asparagus? It's green and it's gray and stringy, right? So those were the things in my head. And around this time when we went to this restaurant, it started to dawn on me that food is, can be so much more and so much more delicious and so much more of an experience when you eat something that's unbelievably flavorful and delicious and complex. And suddenly you just had this feeling, this emotion that happens. And to be able to recognize that was something different for me. So I'm going to say that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is something that a lot of us didn't grow up with uh, going out to tons of dinners and experiencing different foods. Right. You know, for me, I I was fortunate enough that I fell into the entertainment thing at a very young age by pairing up with uh, a comedian named Dennis Leary. He was 10 <laughs> years old. Yeah, he was my partner for 25 years. And That's I worked amazing. with him before that. But I was 22 when I met him. And by 24, I, was, I went on the road with him. And, you know, I wasn't a worldly person. And the wow. promoters would, I remember the first time I ever had escargot. Like <laughs> they would take us out to dinners. Yeah. Because he had a band. There were three members of the band and they were fun guys. And we'd all go out to these fancy restaurants. I've never been, I never had escargot. Yeah, of course. And I loved it. <laughs> I yeah. loved it. And I, yeah. I got to experience that stuff. And through that business and starting to go to LA and having those dinners with people that would take you out to these fancy restaurants. You get to see it all. It's, it's pretty life-changing. And, it, and it's led to where you are now, making unbelievably great bread. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the way I see it. Uh, Other people say, holy shit, this is what happened to him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure some people are saying that about me, too. (laughs) (laughs) We'll end on that note. It's really great to get to know you a little better. I really love your stuff and I love your passion. Thank you. And I love that you're just doing what you want to do the way you want to do it. And you're really smart about it. So thank thank you you very much. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone.